here today. Those of you that don't know me, my name's Brittany. I am the associate pastor here. Kenny is not with us this morning. Um, so you're stuck with me. I hope that we can have some fun together. I think it'll be great. Um, when we first started this church, we, uh, as a staff, we always joked because we thought Kenny went way too long on his sermons. For those of you that have been around for a while, you know sometimes it was like way too long. I was the chief offender of, of giving him a hard time. If you would open up your bulletins and take a look at your notes this morning, the student has become the master. So um, it doesn't look this much when you have it on your computer, but when you see it in print, you're like, wow, we've got some stuff to get through in a short amount of time. But I think we can do it. So get awake, look alive. We've got a lot to cover this morning. Um, I was given this passage, Galatians 6, 1 through 10, and it really could be three separate sermons, so the pace at which we go is not my fault. <laughs> it's God's word, and we're not going not to ignore parts of it just for sake of time, so we're going to get into it. Okay, we have been going through the book of Galatians. This book is all about God's grace, all about grace. God's grace is what sent Jesus to live among us and show us the image of the invisible God. It was God's grace. That, that propelled him to send his only son here, come on earth, become in the likeness of human, die on the cross so that we could be reconciled to God. God's grace is what gives broken and imperfect people an opportunity to be in perfect relationship with a perfectly holy God. It is God's grace that is giving you the breath that is in your lungs right now. Take a deep breath in. Breathe it out. God's grace. You just experienced it. Off to a good start. God's grace is what gives us second chances and third chances and fourth chances and millionth chances. God's grace is what allows us to continually come back to him when we fall flat on our face. God's grace is what drives the almighty God of the universe to relentlessly pursue people that are constantly rejecting him. And then welcome those same people with open arms when they finally stop running and then he calls them sons and daughters and heirs to the kingdom. This is God's grace that does all of this. Our good and gracious God. So we've been looking through the book of Galatians at how because of God's great grace and love for us was put on, the dis put on display through the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. We're no longer slaves to sin or slaves to this sinful nature that's been plaguing us and keeping us from being who we were created to be. Rather, we are free in Christ, free to live as redeemed people, free from the bondage of our addictions, free from the fears and failures and traumas and tragedies, and all of these things that, we, that are heaped upon us as we live in such a broken and fallen world. We're free from all of that, free to live as we were intended to live, as inheritors of the kingdom, as sons and daughters of the king, in restored relationship to God the Father, with the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. God gives us his own spirit, puts it inside of us, and he begins to do a work in us. This is God's grace. Sounds pretty good, right? All right. Let me just say one thing. I respond really well to you guys responding. Victoria, can you show them how it's done? Yeah. You see? Can we do some of that? All right. So last week we looked at Galatians 5. I'm going to pray before we do this. Dear Jesus, we just come before you, God, and we just want to hear from you. We want to hear from your word. No one wants to hear from me. Everyone is desperate to hear from you. 
So God, would you speak? Would you have your way this morning? Holy Spirit, would you move in our hearts and minds, and would we leave filled with your spirit, with a little bit more of our flesh chipped away, and a little bit more of you taking over? We love you, and we praise you, and we give you glory as we open your word. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. 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 All right, Galatians 5, 16 to 17, we looked at last week. It says, but I say, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. We have two dueling natures, this sinful nature and this, this, uh, the Holy Spirit that's in us. So the Holy Spirit is trying to work out sanctification in us and the flesh is trying to do what's against the Holy Spirit nature, right? So we have these two dueling natures in us, and he goes on to list evidence of the flesh, evidence work, uh, of the work of the flesh. He says, um, verse 19, the works of the flesh are sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I think that pretty much covers it. All things that are about me, right? All things that are about instant gratification, gratifying what I want now, uh, boosting myself up, pushing other people down, taking care of number one, looking out for number one, right? All of these things are about me. He moves on in the next passage to contrast it with the fruit of the Spirit, evidence of the Holy Spirit's working in our lives. Fruit of the Spirit, verse 22, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. These things sound a lot better than those first things, right? So we can see, it's not just like, oh, this is like my flesh, and oh, this is the Spirit. It's like contrary natures, in constant contradiction of each other. There's something going on here. There's a tension that we live in. Jesus ascended to, when Jesus ascended to heaven, he actually said, it is better for you that I go. Sometimes I think, man, if I just also had Jesus next to me, like teaching me little lessons and showing me things and smacking me upside the head, like I'd, I'd get it better too. Well, clearly not true because the disciples had a pretty tough time. And Jesus himself says, it's actually better for you if I go because you get the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit will be inside each and every one of you working it out. On my behalf. Amen. So Holy Spirit takes residence in us and begins to work this out through the process of sanctification. Sanctification is a big fancy word for the chipping away of our fleshly nature and the filling us up of the Spirit. Okay? Amen. Amen. I know. We're not even to the notes yet. But we're getting there. We're going fast. Galatians 25 to 26 moves on and he says, If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, and envying one another. Conceit, having an opinion of oneself that is empty, vain, or false. When we are conceited, our relationships are poisoned. Provoking, to challenge somebody to a contest. So it implies that we are so sure of our superiority, we want to demonstrate it. Envy, being jealous of one's gifts or attainments, and implies that we feel inferior and we resent others for their perceived superiority. So we're either motivated by feelings of inferiority, they make us insecure and jealous and envious, 
or superiority, and they make us feel judgy and above and better than, both rooted in our opinions of ourselves and the threat of anyone who rivals that. As the spirit begins to work itself out in us, self-centeredness is replaced by others-centeredness. I don't think I gave you the first claim. Walking in the spirit produces a different kind of love. What's the first one? Oh, self-centeredness is replaced by other-centeredness. If you're new here, we just kind of hang out and talk about Jesus together. This is not a fancy formal thing. We're just a bunch of people who can't get it right sitting here talking about God's word. So as the spirit begins to work itself out in us, self-centeredness is replaced by other-centeredness. Conceit, provoking, and envying are all replaced by humility. We begin to get a right understanding of who we are as we get a right understanding of who God is. So now, I'm less thinking I am here or I am here, and I'm more thinking, I am nothing, and God, you are everything. Use me how you want me to be used. And because he loves us, he shows us how he wants to use us. Selfish love is then replaced by a selfless love. <coughs> Philippians 2, 3 to 5a. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Those of you who are taking my Philippians class, say amen. amen. Yeah, you know this well. So when we are walking in the spirit, we are thinking of others before ourselves. One of the natural byproducts of the spirits working out in our lives is we start thinking less of ourselves, not in terms of value or quality, but less often, and we are thinking of others more. You are now a part of a family, a kingdom, your fellow citizens, co-heirs, brothers and sisters, the body of Christ here on earth. So the love that is produced from the spirit is a love that is only possible through the Spirit because it is not self-seeking. It is unconditional, pursue it, die to self, put your brother first kind of love. That is contrary to our fleshly nature. So there is an implied requirement of needing the Holy Spirit in order to live this out. So Paul then goes through in our passage today, we're finally there, Galatians 6.1. He's going to talk to talk through two practical workings out of this kind of selfless kind of love, a kind of love that requires the Holy Spirit. When we talked about the fruit of the Spirit before, keep in mind, this is not the fruit of our efforts. It is the fruit of the Holy Spirit's working in our lives. So point B is we, we walk each other out of sin. Walking in the Spirit produces a different kind of love in that we walk each other out of sin. Galatians 6.1, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. So Paul is saying several things here. If anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him. So point one, we are not to do nothing when our brothers and sisters are caught in sin. This is so uncomfortable. I know you're all uncomfortable right now. I want to point out a couple of things. One, he says brothers. This is a within the body of Christ conversation we're having right now. This does not mean you go out and find someone who has never claimed to follow Jesus and tell them how they're not following Jesus right. 
This is, we're talking about within the body of believers. So brothers, we are not to do nothing. This, it's none of my business. Well, that's their issue. I, I really want that to be true. I, if I look at scripture, it's not true. So what I, what I want scripture to say, it doesn't really matter. It says what it says. We are not to do nothing. We can't say it's none of my business or I don't want to get involved or, well, that's their deal. We don't like the idea of getting involved in other people's sin. We don't like the idea of other people getting involved in ours. We want autonomy. We want our lives to be our lives. Well, it's your life. Well, it's my life. Don't tell me how to live my life. I would really love to not tell you how to live your life. Ah, this is just, it rubs on that, that autonomy. We are in community. We are a body of believers. It's different. We are not to condemn, though. So there's a difference between not getting involved in somebody's business and getting involved in somebody's business and condemning them. Serves them right. They'll get what's coming to them. You know, you should have listened. <laughs> We're not to gossip. Can you believe her? <laughs> Did you hear? We need to be praying. I have a prayer request. We need to pray for so-and-so. They're way off the beat path. <laughs> Ooh. Sometimes we really get disguising that as prayer, aren't we? I'm just telling you so you can be praying, but you wouldn't believe what I found out. Number four, instead of these things, we are to restore. That word in the original Greek, katarizo, is to put in order, to restore to its former condition, or to set a fracture. Same word as a medical term, to set a fracture. You have to set it right. That's painful. It requires some sort of action, and there's pain involved. But man, can you heal without, does it heal properly if it's not set right? Even in Matthew 18, when Jesus is instructing on how to deal with discipline within the church, it is constructive, it is positive, and it is always seeking to gain the brother or to restore them. How we go about this is entirely dependent on our mindset. Entirely dependent on whether or not we are walking in the flesh or walking in the spirit. If you are doing this out of the flesh, you will cause more damage than if you just did the whole ignoring it thing. So if you feel like you want to go confront someone about their sin and you're excited about it, give it to yourself. Pray through that. You'll do more damage. I've seen more people be damaged by people trying to call them out in love. Well, it doesn't look loving. There is a way to do this where people are restored. If we are for God's kingdom and we are for Christ's church and we are for our brothers and sisters and we're walking in the spirit, we can participate in this in a way that's constructive and positive. But if we are for legalism, if we are for rebuke, if we are against our brothers, we're walking in the flesh and this will not go well. Is this hard? Yes. Is this countercultural? Yes. Does it require the Holy Spirit's work in our lives? Amen. Amen. Yes, it does. But imagine a community 
that so desired to be holy, that so desired to look like the body of Christ, that all of us who proclaim the name of Jesus said, all of you have the right to speak into my life in this way because all I want is to be more like Jesus. What if we all did that? And what if we all said, I'm willing to speak into your life. I'm willing to do that. It's uncomfortable and it's hard and I'd rather ignore it, but I'm willing to do that. What if we all really believed in each other and loved each other in a way where it was safe to say this? I think we'd look different. I think the church would look different. I think the world out there would have a different picture of what this looks like. So if you have, this is a heart check moment before we brush on. If you have someone that you're thinking of, first of all, if you have someone that you're thinking of and you're like, oh, them, maybe think of yourself first. But before you confront someone, three things. Do I have a voice in this person's life? People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. I have had people come up to me and say, I need to tell you this. And I think, you know nothing about my life. You know nothing about what's going on in here. The problem isn't what I just did. The problem is what made me do it. And you don't know about that. Because you don't have a voice in my life. Because you haven't invested in me. Do you have a voice in this person's life? Are my motives legalism or love? To rebuke or to restore? And am I walking in the spirit or am I walking in the flesh? Paul says, a spirit, restore him in a spirit of gentleness. That spirit of gentleness that results in remembering that you are not above any sin. Keep watch on yourself lest you too be tempted. All right. Point C, sermon number two. We carry each other's burdens. Verse two to five. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have his own load to bear. Point number one. We were never meant to carry them alone. So all of these burdens, if you have a burden, say amen. Amen. If you didn't say amen, you're shy because you do and you know you do. All of these things, living in a fallen world, being fallen people, being broken people around broken people who break people constantly, we have burdens. We have weights. Our shoulders are heavy. Our hearts are heavy. It is a byproduct from living in this world. It is universal. We can all understand it. You are not meant to carry it by yourself. You were not. We are called to cast all of our cares on Jesus. Matthew 11, 28 to 30 says, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He can handle it. We bring him to him. We bring him into it. We give all of our things to him and say, God, I'm at my wit's end. Or if we're mature in Christ, we say, I'm at my wit's beginning, but I know to run to you now. Not just at the end. But we go to him and we say, God, I need you to be in this. I'm looking for you in this. I'm giving it to you. I need you in this. And God is able to take it off. And then he decides how to bear that weight. One of the primary ways that he chooses to deal with that weight that we give him is through community. 
God uses community and friendships and relationships to bear one another's burdens. He then decides to, how he's going to lift the weight from our shoulders. Sometimes it is through prayer. Sometimes it is through solitude. Sometimes it is through God's word. Sometimes it is through meditation. And oftentimes it is through other people. If you are like me at all and a control freak and someone who just thinks if I just work a little bit harder, I can get it done. I can do it. Then you know this is so hard. It is hard to bear other people's burdens because we're busy and we're selfish. And it is sometimes harder to allow others to bear our burdens for us. Amen. It's so funny because I'm going to tell a story real fast. I promised him I got this. I'm going to be quick. So I'm preparing for this for this message, right? And I'm like thinking, and I'm like, God, like, yes, we need to bear each other's burdens. And something we say, it's like a catchphrase in church. Like, we bear each other's burdens. And you're like, whose are you bearing? And you're like, well, if you need someone to, like, ask me. And if, I, if I'm around, I can. You know, I'm saying I'm able. I'm here. But most of us, this isn't an active part of our lives because we don't make our burdens known to each other. And we don't go above and beyond. We say, if there's anything I can do, let me know. Well, I'm not going to let you know. If you, if, you, if you have said to me, if there's anything I can do, let me know. I will never let you know. I'm just saying that. But if you see that my car is a mess because I've been overworked and overstressed with things with my dad and things with my personal life and things with work and a million things going on at the church and you say, hey, tomorrow at 10, I'm picking up your car and I'm taking it to get washed for you. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Was that a hint? Yes, but my bigger point is, my bigger point is that sometimes you need, we have a responsibility to get in it with each other. So, quick story. That wasn't the story. <laughs> that was the preference, preference to the story. Sorry, was that confusing? So here's the story. This thing is, I think it's fit for Kenny's larger ear. It's falling. Okay, but quicker story. Quick, quick story. So I'm like praying about this. I'm like, oh, like, yes, God, of course, bear your burdens. And uh, a good friend of mine, Kelly Matson, who's going to be so embarrassed I'm telling this story. She's already rolling her eyes. Tim Matson's sister. She's right here in the front. The blonde hair. <laughs> she loves being called out about as much as Tim does. Um, so Kelly contacts me, you know, a month ago or so and says, hey, you know, I'm praying for your dad. And for those of you who don't know, that's my dad right there. Say, what's up, dad? For those of you who do know him, him being here today is a huge deal. Huge victory. Um, we've, that's him beeping. <laughs> So, uh, so uh, we can't, we've had a hard time getting here. We don't have a wheelchair van. He's in this power wheelchair now. We have no way to get him here. The cab companies are terrible. Long, long story. Anyways, Kelly says, you know, if there's anything that I can do to help, let me know. And I'm like, yes, totally, of course. And then she says, well, you know what? Like, let me, let me contact some people and I'll get back to you. And I'm like, I don't know what she's doing, but sure, do whatever you need to do. And she says, I talked to some friends of mine, old friends from when they were little that they don't really keep in contact anymore, but the wife also has ALS and they have a wheelchair van. Oh, you know, if they'd be happy to help. I'm like, okay, yeah, I'm not going to call these. If I'm not going to ask her for something specific for help, I'm not calling a stranger. <laughs> so then she's like, oh, I followed up, you know, they contact. And I'm like, oh, I'm not going to call. I'm not going to call. It's too awkward. Longer story, even shorter. I called yesterday. I was like, it's too late for him to get to church tomorrow, but I got to just like make the contact. 
And the guy says, yes, I'll bring him to church tomorrow. So he's here today because someone decided to bear the burden of this season of our lives with us. And not by waiting to be asked for something, but by seeing a need and filling it and meeting it. By having a heart that wasn't just moved to say, I'm praying for you, which we need. But that looked and said, what, what do they need? Now, as a result of it, Kelly's gotten to be a part of what God is doing. Amen. Amen. Anna went with her to come. He needed someone to go in the van with them today. So they went to my dad's house, drove here with them. They'll go back in the van, get their car, and go home from there. Now, they've both been able to be a part of this. Tom, the guy who drove him, who didn't stay for service, but we'll get him. <laughs> He's been a part of this. So now what for me is, oh, I, should, I shouldn't ask anyone for help, has turned into them being blessed for being able to be a part of it. Turned into whatever God's going to do in Tom's life through this, because you better believe he's not wasting that connection. It's turned into my dad being here at church today and being renewed and filled up and encouraged. His friend who showed up to be here also to meet him because he posts on Facebook, you should come to church if you want to come and see my daughter teach and embarrass herself. And she came. <laughs> now all of you are experiencing this story and hopefully being encouraged. Do you see? Get over ourselves. Invite people into our burdens. Start bearing each other's. God, I say this all the time. I feel like someone could probably break it down in it some in some way irreverent, but God is really a great multitasker. Like he's the best at it. I think he's doing one thing and he's doing 37. Romans 15, one through two. Now we who are strong ought to bear the weakness of those without strength and not just please ourselves, not just look out for ourselves. Each of us is to please his neighbor for his good to his edification for Christ did not please himself. But as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. Bearing others' burdens is how we love like Christ. Jesus says himself, John 13, 34 to 35, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. John 15, 12 to 13, this is my commandment that you love one another just as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than they lay down his life for his friends. Getting over ourselves. We say we want to love like Jesus. Let's get over ourselves. Let's get about other people. He says, bearing one another's burdens fulfills the law of Christ. He also says, loving your neighbor fulfills the law of Christ. How does everything fulfill the law of Christ? Loving your neighbor is bearing their burdens. Bearing their burdens is fulfilling the law of Christ. If you are not engaged in somebody's life, if you do not know what people around you, what their needs are, and have a heart that is moved to meet them, being kind is not the same as loving. Being nice and smiling is not the same as loving. We want to love like Jesus, we're bearing each other's burdens and we're offering our burdens to one another to help share the load. 
This is a natural consequence of walking in the Spirit. The greatest evidence of walking in the Spirit or being filled with the Spirit is not some super spiritual encounter or mystical experience, but our practical walking out of love in our relationships with each other. If we have a clear picture of who we are, not superior or above it, not inferior or incapable, but in Christ, when we are filled with the Spirit and putting others first, our hearts will break for the burdens of our brothers and sisters. It is not our obligation that leads us to burden-bearing, but our spirit-induced love. John Stott, this awesome commentator, he summed up this this part of that, the second sermon of three that we're almost done with, um, in a really good way. I'm not going to try to paraphrase it. So he says, if we walked by the spirit, we would love one another more. And if we love one another more, we would bear one another's burdens. And if we bore one another's burdens, we would not shrink from seeking to restore a brother who has fallen into sin. Further, if we obeyed this apostolic instruction as we should, much unkind gossip would be avoided, more serious backsliding prevented, the good of the church advanced, and the name of Christ glorified. I should have just said that. Before we move on to the last section, I need you to hear something. Your sins are not yours to overcome alone. What the enemy would want to do is convince you that they are private and that they are secret and that they are shameful and that no one should know. And you, it is your responsibility to overcome them and get through them. That is a lie from the pit of hell. To keep you isolated and in shame and hiding. Your sins are not yours to overcome alone. Your burdens are not yours to bear alone. The enemy would like you to not inconvenience anybody, to stay comfortable and safe. Your burdens are not yours to bear alone. Look at the person next to you and say, I got you. (laughs) Oh, my mom had no one next to her. (laughs) Everyone tell my mom that they've got her. (laughs) She's going to start crying. All right. In this way, God is working out even our sins and our burdens for his glory and for his good. For his glory and for our good. These things are hard to do and impossible without the working of the spirit in our lives. Sowing in the spirit produces a different kind of life. So we've talked about these practical ways of loving, and they're hard. They're hard. But... I need my timer. But not impossible with the spirit. Galatians, reminder, Galatians 16 to 18, 5, 16 to 18. I say, walk in the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keeping you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Jump to 6, 6, the second part of our passage. Let the one who has taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will also reap from the flesh corruption. But the one who sows to the spirit will reap from the spirit eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season, we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity... Let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. 
The principle of sowing and reaping is common in the Bible. The idea is, is that you cannot reap what you do not sow. So if I go out to the field, this is hard for us because we do not live in an agrarian society, but imagine like, you know, it's like farm to table movement. It's like really big right now in restaurants if you like to eat, which I do a lot. But the idea of a farm is that you have a piece of land. That's just a piece of land. It's a field. Now you can, you can plant in a good field or you can plant in a bad field. There's that element. There's also the element of what I am planting. If I plant, what do you plant? Corn. I'm real good at farming. If I plant corn, and I'm like, guys, come and check out this squash. And corn comes up. Just because I wanted it to be squash doesn't make it squash. I planted corn, it will be corn. Right? Duh, no brainer. Clearly not that simple for us. Living by the Spirit is walking in the Spirit is sowing in the Spirit. It is like investments. What are you planting? What you are planting is what you will reap. Sowing in the Spirit produces spiritual growth. Our character is shaped by our conduct. When we start to live out, actively participate in the fruit of the Spirit, we grow. It's this weird thing where we participate by, okay, I'm going to not do these things and I'm going to do these things instead. Not because I think they're going to make me holy, but because I just want to be like Jesus. And somehow he transforms that and multiplies it in our lives and we start reaping a harvest of what we've sown. The more we bear the fruit of the spirit, the more the, the, the fruit is growing. Sowing in the spirit produces that fruit of the spirit. It is natural. It's not force. It's not, I'm going to just get better at this and I'm going to be doing this. But we start chasing Jesus. We start spending time in God's word. We start sitting before the feet of the father and saying less of me and more of you and fruit. I'm going to call the worship team back up. Don't worry about sitting down, Tim. Point C, the quality and the quantity of the harvest is dependent upon what is sown and where it is sown. The quality and the quantity. How much you reap and the quality of what you are reaping is dependent upon what is sown and where it is sown. He gives us four examples. Example one, sowing in the word, sowing the word in the hearts and minds of the body should reap support. So what he says, verse 6, let the one who was taught the word, you, share all good things with the one who teaches, Ken, or me, anyone. The point of ministry, we have men's ministry, women's ministry, youth ministry, children's ministry, people serving in all different capacities. Not just because they are bored and they don't have anything to do with their free time, but because they love Jesus and they love you and all of this doesn't just happen every week. We're all a body doing it together. One of the elements of that body is the person that comes and teaches you the word. We have a lead pastor who is a full-time fireman. Do you know how much his church salary is? Zero dollars. Zero I am convinced that we could do a way better job blessing the Keatings. I think we just forget because he's so passionate and he's so on it. We forget. He goes and works a full-time job, has a wife and two kids, and does this. Whenever I prepare for a 
sermon, I'm like, how does he do it every week? And I'm full-time on staff. Let us share all good things with the one who teaches. It should prick our hearts for the key things. Example two, sowing thoughts and deeds in the field of the flesh. So what we sow are our thoughts and deeds, and we sow it in the field of the flesh. I can do good things. If I'm doing it in the flesh, if I'm doing it to boost myself, if I'm doing it for the wrong motives, we're going to reap from the flesh. We may have sown what we think are the right seeds, but in the wrong field. Sowing our thoughts and our deeds in the field of the spirit reaps life. The one above was reaps corruption. Reaps life for the spirit. We sow our thoughts and our deeds. We turn our eyes upon Jesus. We turn our actions and behaviors and thoughts on Jesus. And we sow in the field of the spirit. We reap life. And then example four. Sowing good works in the lives of others. We reap the fruit of that. If we were intentional about doing good works in the lives of one another, what would we see? A harvest. The body of Christ might look like the body of Christ. The people in this room might not look like the people out there. The church might look like the church. Do not grow weary, brothers and sisters. Do not grow weary of doing good. Life is exhausting. Do not grow weary. If you are running on your own energy, out of your own spirit, trying to just be good, you will fail and you will fall and you will exhaust yourself. But if you sow in the spirit, in the field of the spirit, you will reap a harvest. It takes intentionality. Sowing takes intentionality and reaping takes patience. We must be patient. Sometimes we are doing, 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 and we're not seeing a harvest. Be patient. He is the Lord of the harvest. Amen. Amen. Last point. We must walk in the one who provides the good seed, the good field, and the good harvest. He is the one. He provides you with the seed that you sow. He provides you with the good field in which to plant. And he is the one that provides the harvest. He is the one that makes it grow. John 15, 4 to 5. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him he it is that bears much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. We must recognize our desperate need for Jesus, for the Holy Spirit to come and to cut away the fleshly nature and to fill us with his spirit. The world needs a church who is spirit-filled, love-filled, grace-filled, not a church who is wagging our finger at people or turning a blind eye from things or turning up its nose. We must sow in the spirit. We must be rooted, eyes fixed, pursuing sanctification, begging to be changed into the likeness of Jesus, throwing off whatever hinders and running after him, falling at his feet and letting him pick us up and change us by his grace into what he, was, he created us to be. For the glory of God, for our own good, and for the good of the world. 
Amen? Amen. Let's pray. We did it. Dear Jesus, God, we just thank you for your word. We thank you for how you work. We thank you for who you are. You are such a good God, and you give us everything that we need to have abundant and full lives. God, we thank you for your spirit. We thank you that you have given your Holy Spirit to each one of us that calls upon the name of the Lord and that we are not alone. We thank you for this body and this community. Help us to be in it together. Help us to be so united by your spirit, God, that this world sees us and knows that we are your disciples because of the way that we love. We need you desperately, Lord God. We need you, Jesus. Holy Spirit, come, change our hearts, fill us with you, and unleash us into the world for your kingdom and for your glory. In the name of Jesus, your united church says, Amen. Amen.